0: This is the Daily Signal Podcast for Monday, May 18th. I'm Robert Bluey.
1: And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, we talk with Clovia Lawrence, the co-founder of Project Give Back to Community, a nonprofit based in Richmond, Virginia. Miss Community, as she is known, explains how her nonprofit is serving the needs of underprivileged communities during COVID-19, and specifically, how they are empowering the Black community with the knowledge and resources they need to stay healthy during COVID 19.
0: We also have your letters to the editor and a good news story about a family owned and operated distillery that has made over 2,500 gallons of hand sanitizer during the coronavirus pandemic and has already given away over 800 gallons.
1: Before we get started, Rob and I want to tell you about an exciting way to stay engaged with the Heritage Foundation during COVID-19. While we can't host events in person right now, Heritage is having webinars almost every day on a variety of topics, ranging from America's relationship with China to the state of our economy.
0: These webinars are free. and You can find all of the upcoming events by visiting heritage.org slash events. You can also click the link in today's show notes.
1: Now stay tuned for today's show coming up next. I am joined by Clovia Lawrence, the co founder of Project Give Back to Community, a nonprofit based in Richmond, Virginia. Clovia, thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Now, I just love the name of your organization, Project give back to community, because that's exactly what you all are doing. It's what you have been doing since you founded your organization in 2015. And mm-hmm. it certainly is what you're doing right now during COVID-19. Let's begin by just talking a little bit about the initiative that you all started, Send a Mask, Gloves, and Hand Sanitizer. Tell me about that.
2: Well, let's start here. Um, this would have been the 13th year that I hosted my Send a Kid to Camp Radio radiothon. Mm-hmm. So, we've been doing that. This would have been the 13th year to send kids to summer day camps all summer and after school programs once they get back. Well, we know schools are out, we know summer camps are out, so we just did a spinoff with the Send a Mask Glove and Hand Sanitizer. So, with my organization, we provide the gloves. We met with another organization that provided all of the masks. So, we decided to come together. My radio station, which is my media partner, they were like, Whoa, we have. Leftover hand sanitizer from all of our live remote broadcasts, so let's put it together. So that's when we uh, birth the Send a Mask, Glove, and Hand Sanitizer giveaway. Not only for our underserved communities, but our communities of color, uh, for the elderly community, and also for our frontline workers as well. Yeah, I love
1: it. So practical, so good. But I know you all have been doing even more. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other initiatives and projects that you've been working on around COVID-19 and helping your
2: community? Well, the first thing that we wanted to do not only is to give away the mask, the gloves and the hand sanitizer. But when we go into underserved communities, we found that a lot of people are hungry they're just really hungry. Um, this includes the adults on down to our children as well. Um, we have teamed up with the Richmond Public School System to provide lunch, breakfast and lunch for kids Monday through Friday. And we also give them weekend packages. So that's one of our initiatives as well. But in the process of doing that, we noticed that some parents didn't weren't wearing masks and gloves as well. So we wanted to make sure we put masks and gloves in their hands as well, and also give them information about RVA Strong, about information if you're seeking unemployment benefits, um, other information about housing and how to continue to get food. So these are just some of the resources that we try to be that funnel to the community. Because a lot of times when you put um, the word out and news out to the masses, for some reason, our under-resourced communities that get the information last. So we want to make sure we balance everything out.
1: Yeah, no, that's so practical, and I think often people just don't exactly know where to go to get that information or those resources. So that is awesome that you all are making that so readily available for people. Now, I do want to take a second and just learn a little bit more about the work that you all do as an organization when there's not a global pandemic going on. You mentioned <laughs> the the summer camps that you all do, but I would love just to take a second for you to share a little bit about the overarching kind of mission and and
2: vision of of your group? Well, we started, as you said, Project Give Back to Community, which is a nonprofit organization in 2015. And we wanted to give returning citizens, men who were returning from incarceration and women, an opportunity to give back greatly to their communities and be a valuable asset and no longer a liability. So the best way for us to do that is provide housing. And we wanted to provide housing, not just the halfway house and you collect furniture from here and there. And you said, oh, wow, you stay in this bed. But we wanted to give them remnants of home because we went into the prisons to say, hey, look, if we started providing emergency roofing for you, what would be the reasons you will stay or leave? And they said, oh, my God, just the house look a mess. The, you know, the, the beds feel like I'm still in prison um, and, and all of those things. So we, we did that survey. So we wanted to come out and say we wanted people to live the way we live in our homes. So that's what we designed it. And we call them the Clothes house named after me. And we have six houses and 24 beds. So we provide housing for men that are returning from incarceration. We're in partnership with the Virginia Department of Corrections. And once they leave the house in 90 days, they are usually working. And we try to move them into their permanent housing, whether it's helping them to get their credit score up to purchase a home or move into an apartment or be restored fully to their families.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And that Mm -hmm. passion to serve those that are incarcerated has has carried over to really practically how you can be helping people during
2: COVID-19. Can you talk
1: a little bit about your work right now in the prisons?
2: What we try to do is when they first come home, we want to make sure that they feel safe. We make sure we have thermometers that are in the house. We make sure we have PPE for them. They have masks, they have gloves, and they have lots of disinfectant. Because once again, once you return from incarceration, we want you to feel comfortable where you are. Because with COVID-19, everybody is afraid of it. You know, you don't know who's gonna catch it, who has it or whatever. So the one thing we wanna do is make sure all of the closed houses are thoroughly disinfected. Um, We have signs up to tell everybody to continuously wash your hands and wipe down the doorknobs. And so those things are very important to rest assured. And for the men who are still incarcerated, who will be coming home possibly, that's where the peer support comes in. Also, we have the day one video, and it's a video that is in maybe about 24 of the prisons that we produce with men who had returned from incarceration. So it was like a 198 years of men who were incarcerated talking about the education, talking about coming together as a community, talking about continuing your education. So that video is out. Once men um, do go into the walls behind the prison wall, they have that video to watch. So it's the day one of your sentence and day one of you starting your reentry. And then what we want to do is to stay connected also with the men and women on the outside. We do the day one public service announcements. And these are actual public service announcements from inmates, male and female on the inside, that's giving hope to the community. So what happens is we had a young lady who had uh, problems with addiction. Uh, She OD'd with her three-month-old and her arms. So on the outside, and we're running these on our website and also on the radio. And she's saying, get help. You don't want to come to where I am. Get help and don't be afraid to ask for help. So what we try to do is utilize the prisoners to make sure we stop and promote public safety on the outside.
1: Wow. That's so powerful. That's amazing. Now, I do want to take a minute and just talk about how Covid nineteen has really been affecting the African American community. I know that you're friends with Kay Cole's James, the yes. president of the Heritage Foundation. We love her dearly; she's wonderful. Uh, but she tells the story of recently visiting one of her favorite restaurants in Richmond. She also lives in Richmond, like like you do, yeah. and she she walked in to pick up a takeout order, and as, as she was standing in line, she realized that she was the only African American who had gloves and a mask on, and when she began to ask the question why that was, she discovered that many minority communities are really hesitant to trust the information that government officials are telling them. And so in response, Mrs. James made a PSA talking about the importance of wearing gloves and masks and that personal protective equipment. So first I wanna ask you, do you think that that's true that there is this level of mistrust? And secondly, how are you all working with the African-American community uh, in order to make sure that they're educated about COVID-19?
2: Well, it all starts with partnerships, and I believe um, to be a resource to the community. That means going directly to the doctors. We have Dr. Danny Abula, who is director of the Richmond and Henrico Health District to talk about free covid testing in the African-American communities and under... Uh, serve communities, if you're having some symptoms of COVID-19 and or you've been exposed to someone with COVID-19. And I also have doctors on from the Capital Area Health Network to talk about the antibody testing. And the antibody testing is not the actual PCR test of the uh, nasal swab, but it just lets you know if you had come in contact with someone with COVID-19 or the antibodies, whether it was months ago to yesterday and, and the near present. If you have come in contact and you have the antibodies, then immediately they want you to get the PCR testing. So putting some of those information out, uh, Dr. Danny Abula and also having African-American doctors to be a part of it and also having our governor on who is the governor of the Commonwealth, but he's also a doctor as well to talk about. I know and I understand the Tuskegee experiment, but these were people in a private room. And so what I do, Virginia, is pose that question. When you're talking about the mistrust of government when it comes to African-Americans or people of color. And I said, wow. So how old are you? And you might say I'm 30, 40, 50, 60. So you mean to tell me since your day, your day of birth, you haven't seen a physician. And you know what they said to me? Oh, that's crazy. Of course, I've gone to the doctor. What is the difference? What hmm. is difference? The- and the only thing that the community is telling us, the CDC is telling us to protect other people and protect yourselves, the, your your children or the elderly, just simply cover your face or wear a mask and gloves when you go out and use disinfectant to clean off the surfaces that you use constantly, whether it's surfaces in your home, whether it's doorknobs, whether it's light fixtures and the switchers, you have to do that. Because what happens, it, it, it's this old saying, um, non-Blacks can get a cold. Black people will get the flu. <laughs> Non-Blacks will get the flu. Black people get pneumonia. White people get pneumonia. Guess what? Black folks get COVID-19. And our numbers are huge numbers. And what I say to people all the time when I go back to the game show, I said, um, mask for 500, Alex mask versus ventilator and so these are things that we have to think about so what we do strategically our sole purpose is when we're talking to folks in the underserved and under-resourced communities and communities of color we're saying do you love your mother do you love your father because if you love your mother and father you don't want to be the carrier of COVID 19 because you don't want to wear a mask or gloves and they die and you say oh it wasn't a conspiracy So why do we want to take that chance on the ones that we love? So our conversation is a little different when we go out into the community. Um, The blessing about it, I'm not a part of the political arena, so I don't have to be political. I can go out into the community as someone who loves the community, someone with firsthand information, but I'm going to deliver it in love and truth.
1: Yeah. And that's huge. That is huge to have that delivery of love and truth. So Uh, just allows people to be really receptive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like you say, unfortunately, we have seen that numbers of COVID-19 among the African-American community have been quite high and experts are trying to figure out why that is. People are kind of scratching their heads in some ways. Do you have any thoughts on why
2: that might be? In some instances and and not the larger spectrum, but let's talk about the communities that I've seen, underserved and under-resourced communities. When you're living in communities and and you get a lot of resources that are free, it is not the best quality of food. It is not going to be the best quality of food, whether you get all of your fruits and your vegetables. You, You do that with your SNAP programs, but who really buys vegetables a lot? I think a lot of times nutrition has been a factor. So we have a higher amount of chronic illnesses when it comes to heart disease, when it comes to lung disease, upper respiratory disease, because in some instances you can associate that with the food. We have clusters of people, wherever there are clusters of people, when you're talking about public housing or shared spaces, there's bound to be a cluster of disease because you have no spacing. And so when we're talking about a cluster of people living together in basically one place, one area, there's a possibility They all will contract COVID-19. So that's why it's important for us as communities. If you have shared spaces, you have to be mindful. If we have a shared space and we can't distance ourselves, well, if you go in the kitchen, I won't go in the kitchen. There are all sorts of things that we can do. Why don't we take this opportunity during COVID-19 to eat more fruits and vegetables, to get more vitamin C in, to take vitamins, to look into it. But of course, contact your primary care physician first. And if something doesn't feel right, Um, and and this is one thing that I tell and I share with people, in particular, the African-American community, heart attacks, strokes, lung disease, lung cancer has not been distracted by COVID-19. People are having heart attacks, symptoms. People are having strokes who are not calling their PCP nor are they calling 9-11 because they fear going to the hospitals because of COVID-19. Mm. Yeah. Really and sad. So what we have to do is stop looking at, you know, government from the top to deal with the issues of concerns when it comes to our communities. I had a conversation. Oh my goodness. I call it the queen of Virginia, Mrs. K. Coles James. And I said, we have a big population of people. There will be some people who want to just deal with the masses the upper class. You want to have people that's going to deal with the middle class. And then you're going to have people that deal with the lower class. And then you're going to have people that we call them the least of them. And these are the people that I want to deal with because if we deal with the people quote unquote on the bottom and we build them up, we can balance everything out. And so that's where I want to be. I I, I didn't grow up poor, but you have to have a heart for people because we have a dreaded spread of coronavirus.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that heart for people, that's so critical. Well, and one of the other groups that sadly has been really negatively impacted by COVID-19 is the elderly population and specifically those living in nursing homes. Uh, Canterbury Rehabilitation and Health Center in Richmond, uh, they have seen more than 50 COVID-19 related deaths among their residents. James Wright is the medical director of the center. And he said during a news briefing in April that if he could do anything differently, he said, I would have a nursing home founded by a society that puts more emphasis on treating our elders the way they should be treated. What are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I remember visiting nursing homes years gone by. I'll say 15 to 20 years when I was in college at Virginia Union and we had to do some community service work when I joined my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And when I walked into this particular uh, nursing home, right, it, it it smelled really bad. And it was almost to the point of is the restroom in the lobby. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from that point on, I'm like, who's visiting our elderly population for this place to smell like that? Have we put our family members into into these homes and leave them because we trust the social workers and the nurses? Now I'm not blaming anyone, but for that number to be that high, To me, I'm not sure, but it seems like to me a lot of surfaces weren't clean. Yeah. That's just my assessment. And I'm not saying anyone to me, it's like, you know, surfaces, you, you know, the spread of germs and surfaces to me. And 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 it's just amazing. And it's so sad that we have those, the elderly population that that's there. Who can't come home to live with their family members because they need direct care? So you're you're in between a rock and a hard place. So you can't go get mama because mama can't live in your household. And so you know at this at this point it, it's a lot of prayer. And with COVID nineteen, it has opened our eyes to a lot of things. It has opened our eyes to uh, some of the things that we try to bury when it comes to the race the racial divide. When you have people who think that they're superior, and this COVID nineteen ha- has you no know, name, rank, capital, whether you're a billionaire to a nooner, yep, <laughs> you, are, you can contract COVID nineteen. It is in our White House right now. Yeah, and so we have got to stop and look at this and take this opportunity to say, God, what? do you want us to do? And I hear people talking about, oh, it's our new normal. Oh, it's our new normal. I'm pretty sure whenever we started out in our careers or whenever something has happened tragic in our families or we have lost loved ones, I'm pretty sure a lot of us have dropped down on our knees and prayed, okay? So the normal is to go back And call God's name openly. Remember, we wanted to take God out of everything, and now we gotta put it back. Yeah. (laughs) Who's gonna get us out of this? Nobody else. A billionaire cannot stop this COVID today. Yeah, yeah. Can't stop it. So the the normal is the new normal, if you will, is the same normal it's been. Call on the Father. And I'll
1: be there for you. Amen to that. <laughs> uh, well, and I think you know. Right now, I feel like we're all we're all being faced with this choice as we watch the news, and you know, we see how COVID nineteen is, like you say, it's affecting everyone, and some communities maybe more than others. But you know, we're we're kind of left with this choice of: Am I going to get offended? Am I going to get angry? Or am I going to take action? And I love that you have taken action from a place of really a servant's heart of wanting to help, of, of wanting to impact your community in a positive way. Why was that your response?
2: That was my response because, uh, as I said, I, I had this on my mind as I was doing my prayer and I said, wow, this is going to disproportionately affect the black and brown communities. right? And I said, um, I have to be the leader in my community. And being a leader doesn't mean that I'm just leading. Um, I had to hear from God the Father. I had to go into prayer with this because, see, I could be at home with my family. I'm going out three times in a week with my team dealing with people with no mask on, no gloves, and who doesn't care about COVID-19. So when I had to do that, I, God didn't tell me go to government. He didn't say, hey, contact someone from the city. He didn't tell me to call a Richmond City Council person because you're going to be in their district. He didn't say, hey, call the governor and let them know what you're doing. Call your delegate or your senator. Call Tim Kaine and let them know what you're doing. He brought two small businesses whose business was down because of COVID-19. They had a supply of masks and a supply of gloves and hand sanitizer to give away. Let's go back and give to the community that has so freely given to us. And I think that is the greatest thing that's God ordained. And that's all I, I mean, Virginia, that's all I can say about doing it. And don't you know, we are multiplied every week we have two small businesses, Brenner Pass, which is a restaurant in Scott's Edition. And then we have another restaurant of a man who retired from corporate who provides 200 meals a week for us when we go out in the community. So we're doing the mask, gloves, hand sanitizer, and fresh meals, immune system building meals. This is only God ordained. That's it. Yeah.
1: Exciting. So, how can our listeners learn more about Project Give Back to Community and how can they get involved?
2: Yes. First of all, you can go to our website at Project back to That's projectgivebacktocommunity.org. to community.org. You can follow us on Instagram at Project You can also follow us on Twitter at give underscore community. And you can also follow me on my Instagram at community underscore clo. And and I and I just want to mention um, the great sponsors that we have: True Medical Transport and Ola Dario Gundy of Project Give Back to Community for providing the mask and gloves. And we're just excited about the team. Of, you know, Stack uh, Mill Entertainment, um, our radio stations, iPower ninety two point one and Kiss FM, and Praise Richmond. We're all coming together to make it happen because we believe in people. One death, Virginia, is too many. Mm -hmm. Even if you say, hey, the deaths are low, you know, the deaths are under 1,000 in Virginia. One death is too many. And so that's what we have to work from. And that's what our sole purpose and passion is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So good. Clovia, thank you so much for your time. This has been so good. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: The Daily Signal is doing all we can to provide you and your family with the information you need on how to stay healthy through the coronavirus pandemic. Social distancing is one of the best proven ways you can protect yourself and your loved ones. Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, and U.S. Surgeon General Adams explain why. Take a listen. Social distancing is what we refer to when we ask people to stay at least six feet apart.
0: Staying away from people whom you might get coronavirus from or who are at high risk and whom you might spread coronavirus to. You can socially distance yourself from people in social settings by not going to bars, not going to restaurants, not going to theaters where there are a lot of people. It all just means physical separation so that you have a space between you and others who might actually be infected or infect you. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show and in our Morning Bell email newsletter. Virginia, who's up first?
1: In response to Dr. French Scott's commentary piece entitled, I'm an ER physician. Here's why abortion isn't an essential health service. Janet Hanley writes, As a pediatric nurse practitioner who worked with adolescent girls for 40 years, I agree with every word said. Moms never get over the sadness of an abortion. The quick solution offered by an abortion is not a solution to the potential physical, mental, and spiritual harm done by this procedure.
0: In response to the column, The Nation's Report Card shows a sorry state for 8th graders, David Sayers writes, Walter Williams, as usual, has hit the nail on the head. The problem with what is happening in schools today is multifaceted. Teachers unions are more interested in protecting and promoting substandard teachers, and parents are not taking enough hands-on interest in their kids' education. The best teachers are those that instill in kids a lifelong love of learning, at least in one subject.
1: Your letter can be featured on next week's show, so send an email to letters at dailysignal.com. I am joined by Bill Norman, owner of the family-run and operated business Fainting Goat Spirits in Greensboro, North Carolina. Bill, thanks so much for being here.
3: So happy to be here.
1: Now, today we're talking about one of the commodities that is extremely challenging to find in stores right now, and that's hand sanitizer. When COVID-19 hit, the FDA asked distilleries to consider switching their production from spirits to hand sanitizer, and that's exactly what you all did. So tell us a little bit about how you made that switch and why you decided
3: to make that switch. Sure. Well, we currently, before all of this happened, we made vodka, gin, single malt whiskey, rye whiskey, and bourbon. So on a Wednesday, we were making a a bourbon, and the next day, we decided the best thing to do for our community is to switch over to hand sanitizer. Um, Because we already make vodka, and vodka starts at 190 proof, um, we already had on hand the most important uh, uh, piece of that uh, formula. Absolutely. So how much hand sanitizer have you all made? Um, Right now, we're making about 1,200 gallons every week of hand sanitizer. Out of that, um, we, at a distillery, we just open to the public and say, if anybody in the community needs hand sanitizer, all they have to do is drive by the distillery, bring a small container, and we refill it for them at no cost. So out of that 1,200 gallons a week, we probably give away about 400 of those. Um, And then for first responders and essential businesses and uh, uh, health facilities that need it. We, we sell about 800 gallons out of that every week.
1: Wow. I mean, that's hard to imagine that much hand sanitizer. I was thinking, <laughs> you know, gallon-sized jugs and alone you all are giving away 400 gallons every week. That's just absolutely incredible. So what has been the response from people in your community and across North Carolina?
3: A great appreciation. Uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we've been a part of the Greensboro community for 40 years. Um, and so, I think everybody has a role to contribute when the time comes and this just happens to be our role. And so we knew we just needed to do this. And so, you know, people are, uh, they're so grateful. They're so appreciative. They're so kind when they come by. And my favorite question, when I get a phone call that says, "Um, are you guys selling hand sanitizer? And I'm able to say, no, we're actually giving it away for free. um, you, You can't imagine the elation on our end to be able to say that, to hear the joy in that person's voice.
1: Wow. So, so cool. Now your business is called Fainting Goat Spirits in part because you say on your website that just like a fainting goat that, you know, when they fall down, they always get back up. And that's sort of a part of your business model to where when there are challenges, you all always get back up and you rise from those. And certainly you're doing that right now during COVID-19. Can you tell me just a little bit about how your business is weathering through this really challenging time?
3: Well, in North Carolina, um, as in as in almost all states, um, bars and restaurants are shut down. And because we make such a high uh, uh, quality spirit, um, our the cocktail programs are really where we get the most of our sales in bars and restaurants. So once the bars and restaurants shut down, it really impacted our sales of spirits. Um, but with the hand sanitizer, it's you know, we never looked at this as a profit making uh, endeavor, but it certainly has allowed us cash flow uh to continue to keep our doors open um, when we would not have had that um, before so it's been a a blessing in that way uh, to us as well
1: so do you have any idea when you're going to be able to to reopen those doors and start making and selling your spirits again
3: wow Um, well originally uh, we were we were told that they're going to give us permission through june uh to, to do this and we got a notification the other day that said we may be allowed through December, that it may be a, a shortage all the way through December. Wow. For, our whiskey, for our whiskey products, it really doesn't impact us right now. For anything that we have aging, we'll see the impact of that in about 2024, 2025, when we have a, a six or an eight-month gap of having, having put whiskey back. Um, on a short-term basis, it impacts our vodka and our gin um, production. And so we're trying to figure out a way now to out of the seven days in a week, at least two of those begin producing vodka and gin, um, so we don't lose the lose the shelf space, lose the revenue, and, uh, um, and and get that back on the market.
1: So being an American small business owner um, and really you know dealing with the pandemic and all of the challenges that have arisen because of COVID-19. You know, you all have found a really unique way to sort of try and navigate all of this. Is there any encouragement that you could offer to other small business owners that um, that they're you know, they're trying to still make some sort of a profit to keep their doors open? um, And they're also just trying to stay hopeful.
3: Absolutely. And this is not this is not the only business that we have here in Greensboro. We we've had a massage therapy practice called Needed Energy that we've had for the last 21 years, and we have about 40 employees over there. So I understand not just how we how we spun here to try to do what we could do for the hand sanitizer, but that business also has a completely different impact from this where, you know, we've had to furlough 40 employees. Um, so, but we know that this is going to be gone. This is going to be over. And that everybody is struggling right now. And everybody's going to be so excited once all of this is over and we're sort of free back to go back to our our normal life. And I think that for a small business, especially people, they've sort of refocused what is important to them. And small business has become very, very important for everybody. So I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of support once this is over for businesses like ourselves and other small businesses where people have sort of evaluated their values again and, and what is important to them by looking around and seeing what's happening to the to the small business around them. So I, th- I think it's going to be very, very positive um, when the light comes out and we're all back to going back and being who we were before.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I'm very hopeful for that as well, Bill. Now, what can, what can people like myself, Americans, be doing to support businesses like yours right now?
3: Making sure you know who those businesses are, um, whether it's buying gift certificates now for the future or thinking about how you're going to support them when everything is open back. But first, you have to figure out what businesses in your community are struggling right now, what businesses are struggling, and what can I do once this is over to to help support them. It's, It's first about identifying who those businesses are. I think if most communities are like ours in Greensboro, We all know who those businesses are. We all know who's struggling right now, and we all know who's contributing to the community right now. And I think restaurants will have the most difficult time when all of this is over. But, again, if they're a community like Greensboro, then the the community knows who those people are and really wants to help them come back.
1: Yeah, well, Bill, we certainly say a huge thank you to you all and what you guys are doing. And the next time I'm down in the Greensboro area, I'll be sure to stop by Finning Goat Spirits. <laughs> it's really Good. exciting to see what y'all are doing. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All our shows can be found at DailySignal.com slash podcast.
0: You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa Flash briefing.
1: If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to even more listeners.
0: Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DailySignal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News.
1: Have a great week, and Rachel and I will be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Blue and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Thalia Rampersad, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.